of 3,000 C-suite leaders around the world showed that almost three quarters of them are worried about business uncertainty and even losing their jobs. The reasons are understandably mostly pandemic related. Uncertainty about COVID, supply chain problems, labor issues, and unsettled markets. But the former CEO and chair of LabCorp says while the pandemic has caused massive problems, it has also created huge new opportunities. There's a whole reinvigoration of vaccines. Vaccines were uninvestable for the last five years. Now suddenly vaccines are gonna be very investable. Hi, I'm Irene Silber. Dave King was featured at a recent Vanguard Forum for healthcare and life sciences leaders. The Vanguard Network's Ken Banta started the session by asking King to peer into the future. So Dave, I guess this is a coaching session for many CEOs who will hear you speak now. What is it that they should be really focused on for the next five years? That is strategic and, and critical to their business. So I think in my mind that the number one issue right now is the labor market. Um, we have a huge issue in healthcare labor with burnout and retention, with availability of labor, with labor cost. Um, so <clears throat> read anything about, you know, the great resignation, the mass resignations, it's all happening in healthcare. It's a long and sort of pretty depressing article in the Atlantic about doctors and nurses who are just quitting the practice because of, you know, COVID and because of the, the lack of appreciation of what they've been through over the last two years and because of just complete burnout. Um, the escalation in wages has actually benefited a lot of low wage workers significantly, but we used to pay phlebotomists $18 an hour at LabCorp and now literally, um, I was in San Francisco the other day and you know it was $23 to work at the In-N-Out Burger. So why put a needle in people's arms and draw blood all day long and have them hate you when you can, you know, when you can make $23 in a, as a as an employee in a fast food chain. And then of course, the whole regional health system is really under a tremendous amount of pressure because and, and I have a friend who's a who's a nurse who worked in Minneapolis during the winters and this summer is going, or this winter is going to work in California as a traveling nurse and get paid $25,000 a month on top of the regular salary um, to, to be a traveling nurse because of the shortage of nurses. So um, the other piece of this that I think is really, really puts a lot of pressure on the provider side in healthcare is, you know, the we have long-term fixed contracts or we're paid at, I say we, we were, and you are, I, I retired from LabCorp, but long-term fixed rate contracts and government set reimbursement rates. And those rates are not flexing in response to the labor demand. So they put a tremendous amount of pressure on, you know, the margins of the profitability and the ability to, to invest in your own business as a result of this market. And it's, it doesn't look to me like it's going to go away um, anytime soon. So that's, that's one, Ken. And then the other thing I think you know, there's been, there's a lot of talk about um, the cost burden of diseases and the social, the social impact of diseases. But I just think in the next three to five years, we have to spend so much energy on early diagnosis, prevention, avoidance, and better management of a whole series of chronic diseases, chronic kidney disease, liver disease, oncology, um, infectious disease, 
addiction, which is which is still actually probably growing again after a after some decline because of COVID. Um, there's been a surge in this country in maternal death post childbirth, and for most of these disease states, there is no good, well-established evidence-based care pathway for physicians to treat patients. So primary care physicians are being presented with a ever-increasing array of complex diseases, less time to work on them, get paid less for, for, uh, for managing these patients. And, um, and, and we're heading for, in my mind, you know, multiple chronic healthcare crises if we don't pay a lot of time and attention to better diagnosis, prevention, and, and management of these, of these patients. So everybody says that uh, a, a really a, a, a single-payer solution in the U.S. is not going to happen because this country doesn't go for that sort of thing. But could that, in fact, happen, maybe with some pleasant language around it that doesn't call it that, uh, as an antidote to uh, what's going on right now? I don't think a single-payer system is a in name is, is ever going to happen. If you actually look at who pays for healthcare, the government is the largest payer. They are the payer of last resort, Medicare, Medicaid, railroad retirement, federal employee <laughs> health benefits. I mean, there's a lot of government payment. Um, but, I, but I think that the notion of a one size fits all um, healthcare system is, is really just not I don't think it's politically acceptable in the U.S., and I think it's highly unlikely that we would see that. Maybe we could turn uh, to something different, which is uh, what you might call culture, a way of working, and where that needs to go. So, in other words, not uh, where we've been, but where it needs to go. You know, one way cultures are defined is, uh, you know, the CEO and the C-suite say, well, these are the things we want within our company. But I'm thinking more, what is the, what should really be there going forward that might be different to be successful in this new environment that you're talking about? What are the capabilities that you would want to see? What are the attitudes, the behaviors that you would call out uh, to be a really successful one, a very high performance uh, firm in the, in the long term? And Dave, you've got a variety of companies you're on the boards of right now, not to mention your LabCorp story. And what is it that, what, what would you see as a kind of a formula or a recipe or, a, or must have in terms of the ingredients for a successful life sciences company going, say, for the next 10 years? In most every company that I have, that I have been associated with in any way in healthcare, the culture is terrific. And, you know, I'm a lawyer by training. Um, uh, so, so I'm probably allowed to say that the culture in law firms and the legal profession in general is probably not so terrific. Um, one, of the, one of the joys of being in healthcare is you get to get up every day, go to work and help patients. And you know the patient centricity and the ability to see your deeds turn into better health, longer lives, diseases cured that 20 years ago were, were invariably fatal. So um, I... I placed a lot of emphasis during my tenure on that you know I had a blog now my successors moved to videos so I guess we've gone from <laughs> from writing to speaking it's like you know at least they're not powerpoints um, but um, but I, but I think that communication particularly to the frontline colleagues the phlebotomists the couriers the lab techs about the value that we bring um, and the and the the ways in which we improve people's health and lives um, is very powerful, and I think if you build your culture around culture around that, as most healthcare companies already already do, um, 
I, I think that really sets up the 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 company and the leadership and the and the culture for success. And you know, I emphasize again. I mean, I think making that connection not with the C-suite and senior executives, but making that connection, having that become part of the culture with the frontline mm-hmm. colleagues, and talking about it all the time is a is a way to inculcate it in the in the organization. One of the things I think the the Zoom model really highlighted, um, and I have a daughter who's twenty and is now in the workforce. She took a year off her work, and if the work is fulfilling, hybrid work is great for people, and I think people really see the fulfillment in work much more when they're in the hybrid environment. Like if my job is a great job and I like the people I work with, I, I'm happy doing it in a hybrid way. Ironically, I think it highlighted for a lot of people, I go to the office, not because my work is fulfilling, but because I like to see the people there. And I think that's part of the reason we see so much turnover in some of these roles is people just say, Hey, my work is not fulfilling. And when I'm on Zoom for a year and a half, I really see how unfulfilling it is. And so I'm going to go do something else. Dave, I was thinking of uh, this question, which uh, is, I think, what boards always hope to hear from CEOs, which is uh, looking around corners. In other words, what is the what is the thing that may come up to whack us that we're not really seeing right now? It's, it's relatively easy to see the predicted things. But what would you be saying to yourself or to your board is the thing to watch out for in 2022-25? either the big opportunity that no one else is seeing or more likely the big risks that are out there that uh, not everyone else is seeing. I actually think from an opportunity perspective, there are so many opportunities in healthcare right now. I mean, just, I already talked about disease state focus. I think there's gonna, there's a whole reinvigoration of vaccines. Vaccines were uninvestable for the last five years. Now mm-hmm. suddenly vaccines are gonna be very investable. There's, and there's gonna be vaccines for diseases that have never existed because of the technology better vaccines for diseases that are like whooping cough where the vaccines have become much less effective over time. So, so I think the, I think the opportunities are, are great. Um, I think in terms of the risk, I mean, we've already talked about labor. Um, I think the regulatory environment got such a, I don't know how, how to describe it, except to say the regulatory environment became so unbelievably efficient during COVID at getting things approved and getting things done. I think there's a risk that, you know, we're gonna go back to, I mean, the FDA was approving lab tests and vaccines and, and not irresponsibly, but in a, in a rapid fashion with very strong data. I think there's a risk of going back to sort of the prior bureaucratic approach where if it's gonna take 10 years to approve vaccines, people are gonna stop being, being interested um, in developing them. And then I, I worry a lot about the whole collapse of, of our, of the health system and the hospitals. Um, I just think that the, you know, Paul mentioned that they're building bricks and mortars, but ambulatory surgery centers are going up across the street. They're, they're, they're just facing an unprecedented environment of urgent cares and ambulatory surgery centers. And and so much of the work that they do and is their bread and butter being stripped away, they're being left with the chronic inpatients, the, the, the most difficult cases. You know, their pricing is going down, their labor costs, we talked about it going up, CMS is ramping up readmission penalties. There's this whole dynamic between the shift from inpatient to outpatient, which then plays into all these other competitors. Obviously there's Walmart and Amazon and private equity that are, that are picking off 
key parts of their business. And and now with the no surprise and the and the price transparency, no no surprise billing and price transparency, a lot of the cross subsidies that have supported hospitals for a long time are are being taken away. And so, you know, I worry that leads to big consolidation in hospitals, which don't necessarily lead to better care, that it leads to rural hospitals and rural health in particular suffering. Um, and I worry that patient needs are it's going to be much more difficult to to meet patient needs. And one could say, well, that's going to be done in the urgent care. It's going to be done in the ASC. But the problem is for the really difficult, complex cases where you need a robust hospital and health system environment, I'm worried that we're going to see a very significant decline in our, in our capabilities for those patients over the next five years. That was Dave King, former CEO and chair of LabCorp, speaking with the Vanguard Network's Ken Banta. Real Leadership Podcasts are just one of the membership benefits of the Vanguard Network, which organizes events, publishes content, and connects C-suite leaders. Our mission is building high-performance leadership. If you'd like more information about us, please visit our website at thevanguardnetwork.com. I'm Irene Silber. Thanks for listening.